0: Log TALK RADIO Hey there listeners, welcome to Access Talk with Trish, a 30-minute weekly online radio segment dedicated to examining the good, the bad, and the reality of accessibility in our community. And I'm your host for the show, Trish Kravishow, Disability Inclusion Coach, author, facilitator, and motivational speaker. A woman with a disability, but definitely not a disabled woman. If you know me, you understand. The Access Talk with Trish radio show can be heard live on Wednesdays at 1130 Eastern at accesstalkwithtrish.com, or you can listen to past show recordings on demand at any time at the same address, or on iTunes, if that's how you roll. This show is brought to you by Changing Paces, an accessibility consulting firm that simplifies disability legislation for organizations who think they don't have the time or money for compliance. Visit changingpaces.com and nurture a culture of inclusion where everyone matters. On that note, I'd like to introduce you my guest for this week, Janice McGurran. Janice has both private and public sector experience in the government and hydro sectors and in human resources at an Ontario provincial operational enterprise. She's worked in the charitable sector as well as teaching part-time for York University Seneca College in the human resources and fire services program. Her background also includes diverse committee experience, WSIB, local hospital board, POA, IAPA, I'll let her explain those to us, and AODA, accessibility and Disabilities Act. Janice has been responsible for a decrease in human rights complaints, conducting investigations and preparing reports and recommendations. The cases she's handled have included sensitive employee relations and human rights issues and have demonstrated the use of conflict resolution and mediation skills at bargaining and grievance sessions. Having designed and implemented successful human rights slash anti-bullying programs, Janice has delivered numerous leadership training sessions. As well, she has significant experience dealing with modified work and accommodation issues and hiring staff to work with vulnerable clients. She has extensive knowledge of the human resources function across complex groups and a passion for role modeling, leadership and productivity and developing talent. Janice's interests include, not surprisingly, human rights issues on a light and a large scale, family, of course, some volunteer work, caring for rescue animals. I want to hear about that. And most importantly, hockey. She still, plays, she still plays mini sticks with her grandson, apparently. Welcome, Janice. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Well, good morning, Chris, and thank you so much for offering me this opportunity to be with you this morning.
0: We have a similar passion, my dear. Human rights in general. Um, mine in particular, I, I'm fascinated by global human rights. So I get all these Google alerts about global, you know, I'm fascinated by what goes on in other countries because, you know, with the, the internet, we're such a small planet, really, you know and uh, we're just pockets of people, that's all we are. So tell me, tell me, Janice, how did your interest in human rights get started?
1: When I look back on my career and see how this developed, I think it at that time was a natural part of human resources and really there was a new field in terms of human rights. The legislation has been around for a long time But many companies didn't really know what to do with it. They always would say, yes, we are in compliance with the law. But when they weren't in compliance or when people complained, they didn't really know what to do with it. So I think it was a natural handover to the human resources department and a cry for help, if you will.
0: Right. I hear you. So you just responded. You were responding to a need
1: well actually a little more than responding because as a human resources practitioner um one thing i would say about myself is i'm not a very good desk person i like to go for walkabouts and anyone who's seen me in the workplace knows that i'm all over the place so you know from top to bottom every day i'm always out there and i always had a a philosophy that your human resources function should be visible so they know who you are and what you do. And let's use that word sincerely, approachable. But also being out there and establishing that climate would allow you to see things that people may not report. So you see them on your own, <laughs> whether it was walking by people who were... Saying inappropriate things or you saw people being treated inappropriately. So I I wouldn't say that the whole piece was totally reactive. There's a lot of proactive things that human resources or, you know, that I would have done as well. Right, them.
0: right, right. Critical distinction. Thank you for pointing that out. So this is how I, I, I gauge the trend. Um, I go back to my Google Alerts. I can tell you that um, the, go- the Google Alerts that I have set up for human rights and disability related issues, um, once upon a time it was maybe two or three times a week I would get some kind of Google announcement or an alert to, uh, to an article that's recently been published. Um, but now it's more like two or three times a day. It's actually getting to be quite a volume for me. Um, so this tells me that the human rights issues are coming to the forefront um, a lot more um, fluidly than they might have at one point or maybe maybe the, the incidence of, of uh, <clears throat> them hitting the news or the incidence of them actually people filing human rights complaints. What do you think, Janice? Do you think um, people are becoming more aware or or people drawing on on the services of human rights more often. What do you think?
1: I think there's a combination of things happening here, Trish. If I look back over the years, many years ago, um, the complaints we would see had a pattern and the pattern would change whether it was um, human rights or disability or men versus women, Pattern has changed, but also I think in the human resources profession, we have been responsible for better and better policies that put companies in compliance with human rights legislation. And what I specifically mean here is drawing attention to what I said earlier um, with human resources being out there, not only does the person have to be out there, the policy has to be out there Mm
2: -hmm. and a
1: well written human rights policy that says company is in compliance with all human rights legislation and by human rights i mean the whole gamut whether you're talking accommodation harassment discrimination one important aspect that i'm pleased to see more and more is the fact that the policies are better written there is no Fear of retaliation and that has got to be an integral part of any policy Mm -hmm. that allows people to come forward without any fear of retaliation or I mean years ago I would have people say can I meet you off-site they were so scared to sort of be seen um, can can you put in this complaint without telling anybody it's me Well, this is the the pattern that we've seen, but with improvement both in the law and the application of the law and seeing through the media some successful applications in the workplace, I think that has accounted for more openness in the workplace.
0: Awesome. Awesome. The more transparent we can be, the more uh, open and more more trusting people can be. Such a huge issue with regards to disclosure. I I know when I was working, my critical issue um, for the longest period of time was my depression. And uh, you know, when you have depression, I'll tell you how often did you get people calling in sick, saying I'm calling in because I'm depressed. Yeah. It, it didn't happen. You know. No. So, so those of us living with mental health, we instead would call in and provide some non-stigmatized reason not coming into work today. Um, but, of course, that long-term, you know, for a long-term employee, and maybe that's once a month or what's, whatever that ends up being for that particular employee, the supervisor inevitably um, begins to suspect that they're not telling the truth right? And this is seeds to a not healthy relationship between an employee and their supervisor. And and then there's the, even when there's an awareness around, maybe I should disclose, um, how do I bring myself to sit down and say, you know, I've been lying to you for the last three years? What do you think?
1: Well, a couple of aspects there, Trish. First of all, one of the things that I believe heartens me is the fact that I believe human resources is doing a better job of training management. So that, and, and how do you deal with illness? And I, I say illness, I don't mean physical, mental, I say illness. So we have training programs that we should and human resources, I hold them responsible for training management, how to deal with people who phone in and say they're sick. Mm-hmm. That's really important. And quite frankly, I do think there has been a lot of work done to re, really, in my mind, reduce the stigma that we used to associate with mental illness. And we talked about two things, whether it's being temporary or accommodation. So I think we have come a long way. Um, and it also, heartens me to see that people who are having some of the issues as well um, are being treated by people who are helping them to see in many cases this is a part of life everybody has an element of this in their life and how to go about you know maintaining yourself in the workplace and and dealing with this openly and honestly
2: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah i hear you and because that open and honest dialogue only provides it provides the foundation for you know a future relationship with the you know with this employee and uh, the employee and supervisor that um, has the ability to help that employee reach their potential. Um, but if if the open dialogue isn't there, um, the employee is going to be hesitant to even think about. Disclosing so that they can get the accommodations they need to be able to maximize their capacity at work.
1: I think one of the best questions that a manager supervisor can ask is What do you need from me to be successful here at work? How can I help you?
0: Beautiful, beautiful.
1: It's very simple. You know, management is not rocket science, maybe good management is but I have the philosophy that we all want to see people succeed. And if we work together as a team, however big or small our department is, then we're only as successful as everybody on that team. Right. Good teams pull together. We help each other. And again, if there's anyone, you know, you have a department with 10 people. If there's anyone in that department who has never had a death in the family or a pet death or some urgency, some emergency, that would be very surprising. Everybody, as I like to say, has a life story. And if you can just empathize with our coworkers, we can make it work.
0: Yeah, every one of us is vulnerable to crisis, irrelevant of, of what it is. And, um, and we need the support of people around us to help us get through.
1: For sure.
0: For sure. I've been picking up on stirrings around where the growth of human resources will be evolving over the next decade or so. I, and I, I hear this, that this evolution is, it's a response, not a reaction, but a response to um, how we communicate these days and a response to how we process and what our motivations are. Um, Do you have any feeling about that, Janice?
1: Well, it's interesting that you asked that question. Um, If you look at it, human resources itself is a relatively new function. Years ago, they used to call it personnel. And if you ask somebody what personnel did, they'd hire and fire. That's all they did. exactly they changed their name to human resources. And quite frankly, for many years, and I'm going to say well into the nineties, Trish, Mm -hmm. many people didn't know how to use their human resources, that there were a lot of professional people there that could help the business grow. Mm -hmm. But lately, human resources has been an integral part of the success of a business, and you'll find the human resource people in good businesses are at the executive table, and they're doing a lot more than hiring.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: and and the, the difference they bring to the executive table is they have a different perspective, and so they contribute to the bottom line from their perspective, and they can offer something that no one else can.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: we need people who you know, are good at some of the transactional stuff. You have transactional and consultative things like where you get paid or where you do the paperwork. That's being more and more automated and in many cases outsourced, an example is payroll. But the consultative piece is where I see action in the future and that's a double-edged sword. It will require human resource professionals to be excellent at that ability to tap into their company and how they can contribute but also um, for the executives to use human resources in that way and just don't call them when you have a problem.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. part of executive management and the forward-thinking companies use their human resources that way. So I see an increase in consultation at the senior level.
2: Very good,
0: very good. I'm glad to hear that. What I'm hearing and what I'm picking up is that there is going to be more and more need for emotional intelligence in the HR industry. Is there currently any, any presence of emotional intelligence um, uh, training in an HR typical
2: program?
1: I don't know that they call it emotional intelligence. There's, there's some facets where that is touched on um and where that came from is looking at the but where does human resources fit in an organization and i think many years ago and again depending on your human resources professional whatever the executive said they just made it happen well i want you to fire so-and-so well reorganize this department um there was not a lot of thought given and in mm-hmm. many the human resources professional just did whatever they were asked. Right. Now, when we train people and talk about what you're going to find in the real world, it's this ability to bring in the emotional intelligence and help market that aspect to senior executives so they can see that an organization that's peopled with very positive people who understand emotional intelligence is going to be better for the bottom line whether you're a charity a government a private enterprise um and you will be a company that you'll be a company of choice people will want to come and work there if you mm-hmm. have a reputation for behaving with emotional intelligence Mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm. i completely
0: completely i'm completely with you there um, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to talk more about this um, and uh, we're also going to talk about um, your work in conflict resolution and mediation. Okay. We'll be right back.
3: Devon has been with his company for over five years, since before his legs started giving him trouble. He loves his job, he's great at it, and he plans to stay with the company till retirement if possible. Problem is, it's getting difficult for him to walk from his desk to the washroom. His supervisor, Aisha, lets Devon know that she's noticed he's having some trouble. She suggests they move his desk closer to the entrance and the washroom. Devon is relieved and agrees. This is an example of a basic accommodation that helps make a workplace inclusive. Did you know that 50% of accommodations don't cost a dime and 80% cost $500 or less? The inclusion of people with disabilities in the workforce is the best answer to our current labor shortages. And making businesses accessible to customers with disabilities sees you tapping into their $32 billion spending power. Sound good? Then let a Changing Paces warm and friendly expert take you by the hand and walk you through the steps to making your business accessible to everyone. Visit us at ChangingPaces dot com today.
0: And we're back. So Janice, uh, we're we're pretty well in agreement here that yeah, that emotional intelligence would be a. Uh, Really positive uh, shot in the arm for any HR department, especially to be able to bring it to management because it 's about um, helping people to see how how their decisions and their and their behavior um, impacts the company in the long run. I read a study recently that says that our decisions are actually based thirty five percent on intellectual response and eighty percent on emotional response. What do you think about that?
1: I absolutely agree um, from From the word "go um, what happens in a workplace is very similar to what happens in our life, mm-hmm. and so many of us are conditioned spawned emotionally um, and and we can't help ourselves Mm -hmm. so you need to really look at what what is the meaning behind your response you know if somebody says they want somebody fired or we can't hire this one or that one or whatever they're saying what's the emotional content behind that Mm -hmm. we understand that Um, and it, it helps us when we are trying to resolve our differences as well
0: do people who are going through HR programs do they get any training in disability issues?
1: They do now. It's a it's whether it's through human rights and there's a large human rights component in terms of training. So when you're talking about human resource professionals, um, they'll be taught about the law, but also the accommodation issues are in there. So they're talking about um, employers' legal duties, disclosure, best practices and accommodation how-to, and accommodation for any type of issues, learning disability, you name it. That's all part and parcel, and as well as things like harassment and discrimination, Mm -hmm. how people are trained. And one of the reasons for that is you look at what the human rights law says, the companies are responsible for establishing and maintaining an environment free of any form of, I you talk about harassment, discrimination. So it mm-hmm. falls on the shoulders of human resources professionals to carry that flag, if you will, in the organization. And they can't do that without proper training. The other thing I will say, however, and, and this is you know, almost 2018, I would be wrong if I said that every organization had a human resources professional or access to one or even used a lawyer if they didn't have one. As you know, there are many, many small businesses and they don't have human resources so they may do it on the fly or they may let somebody else do it because they like to work with people Um, the value that a human resource professional brings even if you want to use one on an as-needed basis is so integral to the success of any size of a company some of them go to their law firms most of them have a law firm Mm -hmm. and that's absolutely fine as long as the law firm has an employment and labor law specialist Um, with all due respect um, those those folks are fabulous but that's what is exactly needed if you don't have your own hr there are lots of options where you can employ somebody part-time or you can employ a consultant on an as needed basis That's absolutely fine because the reality is that every company cannot support a human resource professional, nor do they need one with the small size or the nature of their business. Right. Right. However, having said that, it does not absolve them from the obligation to be compliant with all forms of the law.
2: Very
0: good point. Very good point. The direction I want to go a little bit here is. In terms of managing conflict, uh, I know that you have a really broad, um, a, a really deep, I should say, a level of experience with uh, conflict resolution and mediation. That's something again um, that small businesses can they handle at, at a basic level. Let's give them some tips.
1: I think the first step even if you don't have a human resources department, is to have a policy on how you will handle complaints. Whether you, again, you, you employ somebody part-time to create these policies, but you'll everyone needs to have a policy that gives direction. What will happen if there is a dispute or a complaint? And everyone can point to that. So there's a series of steps how to make a complaint who to make it to, what protection you will receive as a complainant, methodology for resolution, whether it's through an outsider, whether it's through um, department heads, whether it's through what I call shuttle diplomacy, and and that is um, where you've got two people in different rooms and you've got the mediator or the problem solver going back and forth between one and another and when mm-hmm. things are appropriate you can finally get them in the same room but the basis is a policy that all employees need including executives that mm-hmm. gives direction and all of this how to handle a complaint how to handle a dispute and as we know there are many dispute resolution mechanisms Um, but you need to have something in writing in the company that directs everybody so that everybody feels equally treated should they have a complaint.
0: Mm -hmm. Policy, beautiful. It's obviously the first place to start.
1: It is. It has to be in writing and it has to be accessible. There's no point having uh, a policy that's on somebody's Computer, or it's hard to get, or people don't know about it.
0: Stuck in a binder someplace underneath the cash machine.
1: (laughs) Or it's it's you know online somewhere, but nobody knows it's there. I've seen companies that have wonderful policies, but if you ask the employees, they haven't got a clue. So that's as wrong as not having a policy. Right. Mark your policies. Have it in writing. market it. Make it accessible
0: market it there's a concept
1: next thing is going to be a little maybe unsuspecting but um, in in terms of workplace and disability and accommodation and emotional intelligence i'm going to say something it's okay to shed a few tears in the workplace
0: it's healthy
1: there's your role model
2: Mm -hmm.
1: that's okay it's okay to show those feelings i'm very happy today or i'm sad today
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: again, when you've got a workplace like that, that is open and responsible and the management is role modeling those aspects that drive the company culture, then you'll have a more successful bottom line, it stands to reason.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. The, I I'm really, really appreciate uh, your feedback and, and your input and your guidance um, on this topic today, Janice.
1: Trish, thank you for the opportunity. It's been my pleasure chatting with you this morning. I-
0: Excellent. Thank you to our listeners uh, for joining us today for today's episode of Access Talk with Trish. This is a 30-minute weekly online radio segment dedicated to examining the good, the bad, and the reality of accessibility in our
2: communities.
0: Please join us again next week on Wednesday at 11.30 a.m. This show is brought to you by Changing Paces, an accessibility consulting firm that simplifies disability legislation for organizations that think they don't have the time or money for compliance. Visit changingpaces.com and nurture a culture of inclusion where everyone matters. Till next time, take self-care seriously and God bless.